Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome, folks, to our Thanksgiving week. Surprise week, that is, because we were, we were supposed to be gone. We, we were supposed to be uh, this was supposed getting to be ready a, for the new digs. This is supposed to be an open air, an open air studio right now, but <laughs> that will happen next week. Uh, this is Roach on Recovery. This is your host, Orville Roach, along with my producer, co-host, engineer, and uh, call screener. He's got his engineer job back. Yeah. Uh, but we're week, <laughs> we're week to week. Yeah, well, it was given back <clears throat> on an interim basis. 646-564-9909. We didn't mention his name. Chris Morales, by the way. 646-564-9909 is the number if you want to call in and speak to us. If you just want to listen to the show, you can go to our website, our show website, that is, blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com slash OCG radio. You can also listen to us through our call-in line, if that's your only means to do so. Do it. All right, let's go to uh, some recap. All right, all right. First things first, let's thank our uh, guest from last week, Odell Johnson. Uh, uh, he was our guest interview on introducing, the subject was introducing mindfulness as a process to enhance the recovery experience. Yep. Um, one thing we've learned is we're no longer going to have any guests allow any guests to be on speakerphone. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, not the best audio quality. No, we have to. Uh, our listeners deserve the best audio audio quality we are capable of providing. So we will have to insist that they uh, use a handset. That's right. Uh, we also want to apologize. Uh, we had a couple of listeners that were listening via the call in line last week who wanted to chime in on one or more of the subjects raised during our guest interview, and we didn't realize that when a Listener is listening via the call line, and there's a and they press. Uh, I think it's they press one to, to, to claim they want to speak to the host. Right, and so a little 
question mark pops up on the screen. We had no idea what that meant. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so we learned something new. None. Thought it was a glitch in the Matrix. Yep. Um, so we've invited them to, uh, at their convenience, um, bring their uh, question back uh, to us at any time. So we live and you learn. That's it. That's all we can do. Yeah. All right, let's move. Let's move on to the best part of the show. <laughs> Yes, indeed. The seven-game losing streak is over. Giants had a bye week. The Jets are an embarrassment. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You guys don't even consider Buffalo part of New York, huh? No, once you get past the Tappan Zee Bridge, uh, that's, right. that's, it, that's it. You're Canadian at that yeah, point. At that point, yeah. You might <laughs> as well live in Toronto or Montreal. Um The, the the season is Thursday for the Cowboys. I was going to ask. In my opinion. I was going to ask. Even you. though 8-8 eight eight can possibly win the division, but that's relying on others. Right. But if they have, if they want to run the table, this is this is the game that will make the statement, in my opinion. Who are they playing on Thursday? The undefeated Carolina Panthers. Okay. Okay. So, I don't think Carolina's... I think their record is is greater than they are, to be honest. Well, remember the they great, can be exposed. The great Bill Parcells said, "You are what your record says you are." That's so true. They're ten and zero, so they're ten and zero. That's true. The Cowboys are three and seven, but from a football perspective, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, that, that all goes out the window once the the whistle blows to start the game. But all I'm saying is. This they this is a, uh, it's not a make or break because of how weak the division is, but if they want to make a statement and get on that roll, this would be the game to do it. I would agree with that. <clears throat> I would agree with that, and I, I I think Carolina is beatable. I think Romo. Well, it's good and bad, I guess. Coming back from injury, playing on a Sunday, and then turning around on a short week. No impact last year. It was because of the back. Right, but he's it, it yeah, was a back no, issue I, last year. And I think if anything, um, he you might not want to warm the thing up in a game and then have it sit for another six days while it's loose. You know, should be all right with the collarbone, collarbone area. So I think with Romo back, if they can get anything going on the ground, if they can get any kind of ground game going, I can see them. I can see them beating the Panthers. Is it at home or in Carolina? The Thanksgiving game is always in always Dallas. Always in Dallas. Always in Dallas. Yeah. All right. Well. So your Niners had a bye? They, <laughs> they might as well have. <laughs> uh, no, they played Seattle. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's yeah, right. they played. They, they, got, they got, played the word, but they, they, got they blown, were in they Seattle. They got blown out of. Uh... <laughs> they got blown out of the water for sure. What, what's their stadium called? Uh, ooh, that's a good. Whew, Reliant? No, that's. 
I forget who that is. I can't remember okay. we'll look what they call up. it up there in Seattle. We'll look it up. I really don't care too yeah. much, to be honest. I know that they're... But, but Blaine Blabbert, <laughs> Blabbermouth, really didn't... Uh... He didn't have a bad game. No, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to really assess whether or not this guy has what it takes to be an NFL quarterback because similar to the problems in Jacksonville, he's not got a very good offensive line. He's he had one and a half weapons out there. Bolden was hobbling off every third catch yeah. holding his hamstring that's been hurting him. Well, let's just real quick, is is Kaepernick gone for next year? It's a great question. I think if it were to the rest of the league, he'd be gone. Like if anybody wanted him, mm-hmm. I don't know how many teams will show interest in him. And as a result, I could see him coming back as a backup. Okay. Um, but I think under any other circumstance, he's out. Okay. All right. Let's go right to our topic. Yes, indeed. Spend let's some do time it. time on that today. Um, you know, we have the unwritten philosophies plastered throughout our facilities. As I've told many residents over the years, we do not own the copyright to them. Right. Some of them are Confucius say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but we did a show on what we called the core four some time ago. Yeah. And we're today we're doing our topic on an unwritten philosophy, which wasn't a part of the core four, but is a very important one because it not only applies within treatment, but extends outside of treatment and extends to those other than clients. And the philosophy, the unwritten philosophy I'm talking about is you can't keep it unless you give it away. And of course, I've added a twist. (laughs) As always. But let's just deal with first the unwritten philosophy as it's stated. You can't keep it unless you give it away. Now, we say this, you know, around the facilities often. We've heard it through the daytop era. Um, what does it mean? You can't keep it unless you give it away. Well, I'll- what what is it? Uh, oh, yes. Well, speaking from a standpoint of recovery or better yet, being in a therapeutic community, it is and has been referred to in the past as the day top or now OCG magic, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is what you have acquired throughout your stay as a client, the tools that you have acquired, the strength, the knowledge the information, all all things that you have gathered that are now going to propel you into your life, your new life of recovery, and what will hopefully keep you strong and in recovery, uh, that bag of tricks, if you will, can be referred to as it. Mm -hmm. And as it goes cyclically in the TC, when you are a younger member, you're receiving it. Mm Mm-hmm. And as you progress through treatment and become a middle peer and then an older member, you are giving it away mm-hmm. back to those new younger members who are now coming in. And it continues to go full circle. And that is kind of essentially one of the fundamental 
concepts or ideologies that the TC is based on. Mm-hmm. That where we have talked in several shows past about staff intervention not being how the facility is supposed to operate and intervening few and far in between and letting the process take care of itself. Mm-hmm. That process being the peers helping one another help themselves and, and get graining, gaining strength in those bonds and in the passing along of that information. And that's not just information being passed along in groups or seminars, which the clients are required to do at some phase in their treatment, Mm -hmm. but that's on the floor. That's during job functions. That's at night in the bedrooms. That's where, when and to me, and this is up for debate, but that's where the best stuff happens in the bedroom at night or at the dinner table. You know, I'm a fan of the breakfast, lunch, and dinner table. Right, right, exactly, Um, because it's it's not scripted. You're not up there telling a story that you've got written down in front of you. You are interacting with people who are coming in, maybe 30 days or younger. Maybe you have a younger brother or sister, and we don't mean blood in this sense, but we assign new residents to people who've been here a while to be their pseudo-big brother or big sister. And it's during these meals and free times and visits that we can have life conversations and real things happen. And so that is where the philosophy stems from. That's one of the reasons why I always say that anyone walking in the door, you know, you might not know how this program works and the ins and outs, but you bring to the table whatever your life experience is. So sure. especially our older clientele, someone who's over 30, 40, in their 50s, who's kind of lived a little bit and has a story to tell, has a lot to do with the second half of that unwritten philosophy. Mm-hmm. Now, on the front half, you know, you can't keep it. It not only applies, as you said, to the traditional treatment knowledge and recovery knowledge. We're also talking about life knowledge. Right. So I'm always telling these guys, been in prison for 15 years, I said, don't think you don't have a lot to give back. Right, right. That's very true. You have a lot of life experience to teach these younger folks, younger guys and gals coming in that who haven't walked in your footsteps, who haven't experienced what you've experienced, and you might be able to tell them, look, you don't want to go there. Right. You don't want to spend 10 years in San Quentin like I did. Right. I not meaning I. I meaning them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, got although, that. Although I have visited San Quentin on a special trip. <laughs> okay, all right. Remember with our adolescents? I don't know if you remember. I do remember that, okay. uh-huh. And just as a sidebar, when I drove them there in our big 15-passenger van for the – it was the quote-unquote scared straight trip. Right, right. And they were all, you know, uh, excited and, you know, yelling and screaming like a, you know, like a raucous crowd before the game on the drive <laughs> up. Yeah. And after they experienced San Quentin, it was like a dead, silent <laughs> – Pretty quiet ride you back. You could hear a pin drop on the way home. <laughs> So of it was, course, it was impactful. But along those lines, uh, someone who has had that experience can give that back mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. others who who have no clue about that. Hey, that's someplace you can end up if you continue down the road that you were on prior to coming into treatment. Very true. Now, you can't keep it unless you give it away. So let me play devil's advocate. Who are you to say 
that I can't keep it unless I give it away. It's for me to decide if I want to give it away. And if I don't give it away, I still keep it. So what are you talking about? It's a trick. Yeah, well, actually... I'm playing devil's advocate. Right, of course. But not much of a trick if you have been to school at all and studied any kind of psychology uh, where you will actually find almost verbatim... uh, Something similar to this philosophy, I believe I first ran across it in a Psych 100 class, um, and it actually has to do with the knowledge. Uh, oh, we- I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. So sure. You didn't even start with Psych 101. They had you start with Psych 100? Psych 100 is intro to Psych, yeah. It's what anyone who's going to study psychology oh, okay. in right. college will start with. I thought it was Psych 101. No, yeah. Uh, well, maybe 101 back in the... Well, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to put your age out there like that. But no, in modern times, Psych 100 is what you start with, and um, we actually are more familiar with hearing the phrase "use it or lose it." Mm-hmm. This has to do with neural pathways and neurologically mm-hmm. speaking, knowledge or information that you gather throughout your life, whether it be an elective that you study in school or just random information that you are familiar with. That if you do not continue to reinforce that knowledge that you have acquired or practice it in some way, um, even as far as physically, uh, you could even relate this to lifting weights. If you don't continue to reinforce this knowledge or this thing that is in question, you will eventually lose it yourself. Right. It applies in this situation. So the the tools and the knowledge and the information that you gather um, – it is reinforced and more ingrained in you when you begin to teach it to other people. Um, and a lot of a lot of clients report after having given back to or or speaking to a client, maybe a younger member who's struggling with something, and going to be a support and and speaking to them however they deem necessary. They leave that conversation have having felt a little stronger about themselves. So. Let me see if I can summarize what you're saying here, mm-hmm. that having them, the process of them speaking, whatever that knowledge is that they have acquired, right, and passing it down, has somehow, it somehow reinforces that knowledge within themselves, within themselves exactly, and creates some kind of um, healthy... <clears throat> What's a good word to use? Um, I don't want to give away our second half by using the other term. <laughs> but you get fed something. Right. Okay. By, right. by, by exactly. doing this. You get enriched It somehow. reinforces and strengthens that right. knowledge and within a, yourself. And it's a real thing that you feel inside. It's Absolutely. not necessarily an intellectual thing. No, no, no. Right. But you feel good. You feel the sense of... Uh, yeah, you uh, feel stronger. Because you hear the words come out your mouth and, you, and, you're, uh, and, and you hear you're spewing this knowledge that you've acquired. And so it's reinforcing it within yourself as you're, you know... Yeah, as you're saying, I've heard people out. describe it as almost like having an out-of-body experience. Where as they're saying it, because it's it's just coming out because you now have this knowledge, whether you know it or not. Mm-hmm. You can hear yourself saying these things and like think about, wow, how much that applies to me, right. and it reinforces it. There's an old adage that you really know that you've learned something 
when you possess the ability to teach it. Right. Because you have to know something inside and out, frontwards and backwards, and intimately, if you're going to then teach it to someone who has no idea what it is you're trying to teach, because they could ask questions out of left field. And unless you understand everything about what it is you're speaking about, you're not going to be able to teach that to somebody. Same well, thing applies here. Well, of course, we don't have that expectation to that level of right. our clients right. in terms of because uh, oftentimes we might hear, uh, well, I don't know about that. You're going to have to talk to the counselor on that one. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> but they should have the ability to speak to whatever level of treatment knowledge mm-hmm. they have acquired they, exactly. if they have internalized it. Right. And that's the key. That's a big if. If they've internalized it. Right. If they have only cerebralized it. I know that's a word I just made up. Yeah, no, that's good. Make, let's throw it out there to apply for next year's Webster's. Sounds good. Uh, that doesn't apply. <laughs> if they have internalized it, then you can regurgitate it. Right. And if a question comes your way, you can actually be able to respond to it accordingly. Right. Now, so that's the... So when I learn it, learn the treatment knowledge or whatever life experience I have. So whatever life experience I have, I have. That's already ingrained in me. I've lived that. Okay. Yeah. So whatever treatment knowledge I learn intellectually, and then I internalize that and start to live that out through my behavior, my attitude, what I'm saying, my actions, etc. So I'm now... Filtering it down is the term we use internally, right? Yeah, yeah. We don't usually say teach. We say filter it, filter it down. But we that's what we mean. We say, you know, teach it to the, to the generation, the next crew coming behind you, the younger members coming behind you. Teach what you've learned. Yeah. Okay? Um, it's always more palatable when a, one client is teaching another client. You know, that's, that peer, peer-to-peer mentoring that's so effective in the therapeutic community. Agreed. Rather than me, the counselor, trying to hammer it into you. Although we do, in big picture, wide-angle lens provide the, you know, the guidelines of the stuff that we're trying to get them to absorb in their minds and in their hearts and in their bodies, etc., it's them, the clients, that we want to ultimately, once you absorb it, kick it back out. Right. Okay? Right. And we make and we, we point to this unwritten philosophy and we say, you're not going to and it's a it's a very firm statement that we're saying here. You're not going to be able to retain this in a useful manner unless you give it away to others. Right. And we're not saying it trying to scare you. We're not trying to scare you into doing it. We're trying to say in real life that unless you continue to reinforce this by giving yeah, it away right. to others, filtering it down, and it makes no difference where, whether it's it's in support groups that you might attend post-treatment or even on the job with other people. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about, you know, proselytizing and preaching and so on and so forth. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> right. But I'm just saying in the way that you carry yourself, the way that you uh, speak about any subject, okay, it, it'll all 
ooze out of you. Yeah. Where you stand. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you got to give it away. That's right. But there's a twist. (laughs) (laughs) With just a little twist. Unfortunately, there's a twist. I had to give that philosophy, that unwritten philosophy, a twist. As I do a number of them. And I give a disclaimer. These are my own personal twists. <laughs> right. These aren't any copyrighted twists. These are, oh, no, no, my twists, I'm copywriting them. They're yours. These are mine. And I have taught these twists. So we say you can't keep it unless you give it away. And that's across the board. That means not only once you, not only as you progress and process through treatment, that's once you're done, you're moving on with your life, and it applies to almost anything in your life. Okay, yep. Okay, you want to be a good parent? Okay. Well, when your children become old enough to be parents, you got to give it away because at some point you might be expecting grandchildren, and that's got to be filtered. It's just a never-ending that's right. cycle that's of right. you can't keep it unless you give it away, right? Exactly. And in truth, everyone should always be in that spirit of wanting to give it away. But that's not always the case because sometimes people use information as a weapon. That's very true. You know, I'd rather you know the less I the less I share, the less I provide knowledge. You know, the, the more I'm in a position of strength rather than you. Exactly. Okay? And we do uh, in the TC, we do uh, meet that occasionally. I think we have to acknowledge that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is sometimes used as a weapon. So, what's the twist that I'm referring to? Well, what are we always saying to our clients? Got to talk about the, your yeah, feelings. Yeah, the simple advice about talking, 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 sharing, 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 purge, 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 right? That's right. So, it's the opposite of keeping, right? Mm-hmm. We're saying, you know, you gotta, you gotta You're letting go. You gotta give that away. <laughs> so don't keep it. You must give that away. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of flipped it a little bit, and saying the knowledge that you get from going through treatment, in terms of what you need to do to build your character, rebuild your life, get on the right path. That stuff we want you to. You gotta keep that stuff. We want you to. And give that give it, stuff give away. Give that stuff away, mm-hmm. right? We don't want you to keep that, right? We want you to give that stuff away. But well, with the, the knowledge, in, the, we want you to the, do but both. But the instinct mm-hmm. of people when they come into treatment, when it comes to their problems, their issues, their you know the trauma that they may have suffered, and and the, the everything that's at the root of that. No That's one, what we no don't one, want you no to No one keep. wants to talk about that. No right. one wants to put that out there. No one wants to share that. We got to get the meat hooks. We got to get the shovels. We got to do we got to start the the digging process and then hopefully the family members take hold and start, you know, they pick up the shovels and and start helping their family members uproot all of that garbage and get it out of them. Right. Okay. So we say no, we don't want you to keep that stuff. Okay. And you must give that stuff away. It's a must that you give right. that stuff away. Because if you don't, we can rattle off everything that's going to happen. You've heard me say before, no one can leave the program without addressing not only the issues 
the the glaring issues behind their addiction, okay, but the less than glaring issues behind their addiction, the insecurities, the inadequacies. We did a show on this, if you recall. Mm-hmm. Their fears. So I say, do not leave this program. Do not let, or any program, do not let the doors hit you on the way out. (laughs) And you have not, during your stay in any treatment program, addressed those things. The root causes of why you became addicted to drugs. And oftentimes, I always, to, to, to get to try and get that ball rolling, that conversation started, I start with the very simple question. And it's a starter question. I don't want to do the digging myself. I want, I want to just start it and then to get teach them how to do the self-analysis, so to speak, the self, self-dig. self You'll have to come up with a new word other than self-dig, but you, you get what I'm talking right. about. Right, yeah. So I say, listen, um, why, why did you start using drugs? Okay. <laughs> And more often than not, I can get a, you know a thousand and one different answers. And what I'm only looking for really is you know m- most people started using out of curiosity, right? Most, not all, but most. Mm-hmm. So I say you know the majority of us kind of started the same way, you know what I mean? With our friends. You know, a little peer pressure, a little curiosity, you know, hey, what's that? You know, let me try that, you know, and, you know, you try it. Exactly, yeah. More often than not, that's what happens. Right, you know. There are some, let's put that out there, that in in our experiences, especially since we worked with adolescents, we've had the unpleasant experience of learning, you know, yeah. They're the first ones who turn me on. I'm like, oh, goodness. <laughs> right. Where do we go from here? If your own parent is the one that got you hooked. Right, exactly. Okay, so, But more often than not, that's not the case with adults. So but so the majority of the time, curiosity, peer, a little peer pressure gets, it, gets the ball rolling. Indeed. But then my second question becomes, why do you continue? So that's where we get into the meeting. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, where, <laughs> that's, where, that's where you get a little deeper right we get there. Meat and potatoes then, right uh-huh. there, right? Um, and once they, you know, fiddle around and so on and so forth, eventually, you know, most cannot really come up with the answer. And so I usually end up giving them the answer. And usually, more often than not, not all the time, I'm saying, but more often than not, the answer, we get them to you continue doing something because you liked the way it made you feel. In short, you liked it. Uh-huh. For whatever reason. Right, right, exactly, exactly. We're not talking about the reasons why you like it. The reasons vary. Right. Yeah, exactly. But, They're vast. But the but point is... You liked it. You got to feel good. Yeah, right. You felt good. You mm-hmm. liked the way it made you feel, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where I then stop. I say from... Now that we've we've acknowledged that, it's now upon you, incumbent upon you, to take that information doing that self-analysis and answering the next question after that, well, why did I develop this liking for it? What was the reasoning behind that? And then it can take you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And all of that, all of when we talk about the part that you must give it away, 
All of that is what must come out. Right. Right. It doesn't have to come out to me. It doesn't have to come out to the counselors, but it has to come out. And as you said before, more often than not, if the TC is working the way it should, these things come out in the bedrooms at night, mm-hmm. come out, the, out at the meal, you know, mealtime, you know, breakfast, lunch, or dinner conversation, free time conversation. That's when these conversations usually happen. Um, and, of course, if there's a targeted targeted group where the appropriate topic might behoove that information to come out, that might be the case. Today's culture, you know, back in the day, yes, most of the conversation, most a lot of deep stuff came out in group. You know, I wouldn't say that's really the case today. Yeah, no, I would agree. Yeah. I mean, there's some, there's definitely yeah. some level where it, it's, I wouldn't say it's par for the course. Mm-hmm. You might hear about one group in a week or one group in a maybe out of a two week span where the clients are coming out like, wow, that was a really powerful, yeah. intense group and somebody got really deep in there. But yeah, I would say for the most part, um, groups are good work is being done in groups, but maybe not to that level with certain clients. And it makes sense because, well, our groups now are, you know, when I, when I, would do a group, it would just be open. To a, right. You know, I wouldn't say, I mean, sometimes I'd go in and do a topic. But, but there's a particular I, direction ex- in the groups today. Exactly. Right. So we might be doing a group on boundaries. Yeah. Or anger management exactly. or so relapse kind of prevention. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, and, and kind of like we said, or, or we were talking about earlier in the show, I think I mentioned the bedroom talk, the, the meal talk, the, uh, R and I talk. Can we, can we just change that to room talk and not bedroom talk? Okay. All right. For the record, <laughs> let's scratch bedroom talk from the record and change that into uh, with all these relation- roommate talk. With, with all these relationships <laughs> going around. Right. Exactly. Um, but that stuff is unscripted. Yeah. There is no, like you said, in a group that there's not going to be a particular direction. Mm-hmm. And there's also something to be said, and it, and it's not that as staff we all have a role to play. But there's something to be said about a conversation where staff's not present, mm-hmm. where, yeah, I'm not – however it makes me feel that there's a staff present that I need to conduct myself in a certain manner or articulate what I'm saying in a particular way, that when I'm talking with my friend in the room at night about how my day went or missing family or whatever, the real comes out. Yeah, that's a true definition of the self-help. Exactly, and that is where – a lot of the power comes, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. So I, I agree with that. So you can't keep it unless you give it away, or don't keep it, you must give it away. They both work. Well, they both need to work. They they, they better work. Um, I think when clients progress out of uh, the traditional treatment environment, they're now moving on with their lives, mm-hmm. working, family, etc. They're just back into their lives, doing their thing. Um, the first half of that, the original unwritten, you can't keep it unless you give it away, becomes more challenging to recognize, I would say, I would put forth. Meaning, you're no long when you're in the treatment environment you a consciously are working on doing that more than it's 
subconsciously just happening by osmosis of just being in the treatment environment. Right. Okay. You see a younger member come in and you, you know, you want to practice and spread your knowledge and see if you got it down, you know, and, and so on and so forth. Right. But when you're out there in the real world and you're living your life, okay, a lot of other things are occupying your mind and your, and, and, and your thoughts and your, and, and, and your whole living experience. And so you're not consciously keeping track of whether or not you are, you know, giving it away to constantly reinforce your sobriety within yourself. Right. Okay. However, if we were to take someone and pull them off to the side and say, tell us about your day. Tell us about how you go about your day or, or, or your week, let's say, and how you've been going about your daily existence mm-hmm. in your recovery. We would be able to point out to them how you actually are giving it away. Right. Okay. And it's not just by verbal methods. We forget how important role modeling is. Right. There's a reason why we invite our graduates to come back so people can see, first of all, most importantly, that there is such a thing. <laughs> we, didn't, we aren't faking these graduation diplomas up on the wall. No. They're not props. No, it's okay? really powerful. That, that the graduates do exist, and they need to come back and role model this is what a graduate looks like. Right. We encourage them to come back and have dinner or lunch, whatever their schedule allows, mm-hmm. and talk to the clients. This is what a graduate sounds like. This is what a graduate's life looks like and through them you know, talking about, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm living. This is where I'm working. This is what my family life is like. Yeah, it's, People are, you know, the residents are hungry to, for some absorb that with some light at the end of the tunnel. That wow, okay, this is real. This living actually, proof. Yeah, yeah, this can actually happen for right. me. Instead of just having to trust that a trust, bunch of counselors trust next, or whoever trust the guy says, sitting next to me at the lunch table. Right, right, right. He's just as bad off as me. And <laughs> I think yeah, almost just as important as the graduates is the the outpatient. So mm-hmm. the, the when you've reached. Level five or phase five or whatever phase that might be for other TCs out there. Mm-hmm. When a resident has successfully completed the inpatient portion of their treatment, they're now going home to work, wherever it is they're going, and they're coming back once, twice a week. Um, the importance of that, too, because what I will say is while it's awesome to have graduates come, mm-hmm. contingent upon when that individual graduated, there might be a large enough separation mm-hmm. from that graduate and whoever's in treatment to where the client might just see that person as another staff member-like figure mm-hmm. versus maybe I'm a younger member and I'm sitting in one of the older members' coin ceremonies. Right. So I, I was in treatment maybe with this person for 30 days. And have, have we made our audience aware of what a coin ceremony is? We have. Okay. Right. Uh-huh. I think we even got into the whole payphone thing and everything. Okay. But um, so you've experienced some time under the same roof with this individual. They were being held to the same rules and same standards. You may have heard this individual. doesn't have to be as extreme as a 30-day member and someone leaving, but it could be, you know, maybe this person arrived two months before you. So you've been through a lot with them and heard a lot about them. And now they're coming back two months later, still holding on to the job, still clean and sober, 
telling you how good life is or how good life will be when you leave if you stick to it. And Mm -hmm. now this is something you can really touch. Mm -hmm. It's tangible. You can really feel this because, wow, you know, I've been in here eight months. This individual came in two months before me. We were both younger members at some point with our own struggles. And this person going through the same exact process with me side by side is now succeeding and, and that's within my reach and my grasp now. And I know this person intimately. And so sometimes, yeah, just having those folks come back who are on outpatient can be awesome, can mm-hmm. be really, really powerful. One of the things we also spoke, by the way, in my description, I referred to our younger members as recovery infants. And we mean that in the most loving term, by the way. Um, it's better than day one dingbats. That was a loving term. <laughs> it was a loving Even term. Some, but... <laughs> some, some, of, some of us didn't like it. Um, but uh, if you are, any, anyone that's uh, one to three, one to three months is recovery infant, by the way. But if you are a, so what you just described is someone who has gone through the process and is coming back to give back. Right and give it away. What they, what, 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 not only what they've learned, but what they're living. Okay. Right. And so they're, like you said, they're they're the living proof, as they sit or stand here today. Um. But there's another group. You know, there's many who have gone through the process, and decided to enter the field, to help others professionally. Correct. Okay. And um. So they have a they have the the background of being in the negative the life you know what I mean by the life mm-hmm. having been an addict at one time in their life and I know when I say that at one time that's very 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 uh, controversial <laughs> right but we're not going there today <laughs> no not not for this show not for this show so but they they bring to the table that background but they decide you know I I also I feel a calling to help other people. Right. Okay, so they get into the field um, to counsel, provide counsel to other people. And they also have an opportunity to echo this unwritten philosophy, you can't keep it unless you give it away, through not only being in the field as a professional, okay, but utilizing their background. But listen carefully. When I say utilizing your background, I don't mean Every single time you're talking about what your what your background is, because that's not what you do as a professional, but utilizing it internally mm-hmm. to be effective as a professional. You know what I mean? Oh, you, you entirely. Know how, you know how you talked about psychology. I'm going to keep saying psychology 101 because that's not what I remember it as. That's okay. So, 1960s. Okay, okay <laughs> that would make me how old? <laughs> we'll keep it going. Um, so, like you referenced utilizing psychology 101, your background in the life is a form of psychology 101. So, you might call it the life 101 and utilizing it to make you more effective right. as a counselor. Right. This is not to say that if you've never been in the life, you cannot be effective. Of course, you can be effective. Oh, and you a, will as, be. As a, and you will be effective. But you can, if you have a background, in the life and know how to utilize it to be additionally effective. Uh-huh. Okay, especially with some hard heads, knuckleheads, oh, yeah, et yeah, cetera. Yeah. There's a time and there's an appropriate place. 
bring where, it out. Where you have to bring it out, right? And and give somewhat some real talk. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a good I mean? way of putting it. Yeah, give some real talk and say, look, I may not look like it, but I was I've been down that road. Right. Okay. So right. You're not putting anything past me. Exactly. Uh, I'm not the one that you know going going for the okie doke. Right. Okay. And so there's a giving back in that way. Of course. Too. But I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of talk, even though we, we stress talk. Talk is very important. I, I don't want people to misunderstand me when I say I'm not a fan of talk. Our clients need to talk, need to share, need to purge. Okay. When I say I'm not a fan of talk, I'm saying ultimately right. you're judged on what you do. Action. Mm-hmm. Your actions. And that's what I'm going to look at. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the um, the paraprofessional, I believe, is the term we used in another show to talk about um, somebody who's been in the quote-unquote life, who's mm-hmm. now working in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just that you bring something different to the table, just like the if you know how to utilize, right? The just like the professional mental health staff is going to bring something different to the table. It's almost like a recipe for baking something, baking a cake or whatever. You need a combination of things to create something perfect. Right. And so the idea that this person brings a little salt, this person brings a little baking soda, mm-hmm. we can combine this and work together to make something awesome. Mm-hmm. And and I sincerely believe in that. You know, what's funny, too, and it's like you said, it's not our job as a staff. You'll get it more with one of those outpatient folks I was talking about where they might be sharing about themselves. But it's peers talking with peers, and that's appropriate where you may not be sharing this background other than maybe rarely, and it needs to be well thought out and well-timed when you're going to bring it up Um, because it's not about you, obviously. It's about the person you're helping. But I think there's almost something to be said from a client's perspective. Just having the knowledge Mm -hmm. that staff member has, been through it even if that staff member never talks about their experience or what it is they've been through but something to be said about them knowing oh wow that person's an old graduate of this program Mm -hmm. i i rarely if ever bring that up to clients anymore um i never talk about it and uh, i recall (laughs) you know and and this isn't good bad or indifferent it's just something to observe but I recall a moment where somebody had figured out that I was a graduate of the program mm-hmm. because I had never brought it up to them. I don't know how, you know, maybe they heard from their counselor. Somehow it came up in conversation and they approached me in my office. I didn't know you, you were, you graduated like this program that I'm going through. I said, yeah, I did. And they asked me a couple questions about when or whatever. And mm-hmm. I let them know. And, um, I think they shared that with a couple of people. Did you know, Chris, blah, 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 blah. And even though I had never talked about it and didn't really talk about it thereafter, but just them having the knowledge, oh, wow, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I could feel a different vibe from them from that day forward or how they might pay attention when I was speaking about something or the light that they held me in or the way that they perceived me, just having the knowledge that, oh, wow. You know, 
he may understand how I'm feeling because he's had to feel similar things. And so, he's, so before that, they had, they gave you the you don't know Jack look. The you don't know Jack look, right? No, wasn't it wasn't <laughs> that that extreme? But yeah, no, something had had resonated within them that this person maybe can relate more than I gave them credit for. Mm-hmm. And so now the information coming from them, I'm going to hold in a little higher regard than I may have otherwise, Mm -hmm. even though I never brought it up and I never speak about it. And so I think that's a a little component that's just added, um, and you don't have to bring it up. Yeah, I mean, we always caution our clients not to judge a book by its cover because you never know what anyone's background is, regardless of what they're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So. You, you you might think some of our PhDs might just have gone to school, and you have no idea that they may be recovering addicts themselves. themselves. So you you don't know what you know. You have no idea. Exactly. So um, that's why I said uh, you might think they're falling for the okie doke, but you'd be very surprised. Exactly. Exactly. So it's just another added element, and this isn't the show for it. I think we've done a show on it, and. You know, we may touch on it again in a future show. But I add that to say, too, to the folks that have been through it mm-hmm. and come out on the other end, that you you're not you don't need to hold on to that as, you know, you're the main reason you're working in this field or what gives you credibility in this field. It wouldn't, it, uh, yeah, it doesn't you, work. Right. Exactly. And I know some people can cling on to that. I know way, way early on when I was hired at the age of 20, mm-hmm. this is what I held on to as what I have to offer. And this is what, this is what makes me knowledgeable versus whoever else I'm working with. And, um, it's kind of a security blanket in a way. And I think you'll notice going forward in your career that you're actually just as, if not more effective, leaving that out of the picture and allowing it to come up naturally if it happens to come up. Or when you need it. Or when you need it, like the real talk that you spoke about. you got to pick and choose. Versus using that as your tool. You're coming in using that. And now everyone... Thinking that that's your in. Right, that's my in. Now everyone in this, I've commanded the respect. You're all going to listen to everything I say now because I graduated this program or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um that that usually actually puts you behind the eight ball a little bit. But I just wanted to throw that out there. It's you can't keep it unless you give it away is similar to what the job description of a, a sponsor is in the twelve step arena. They're constantly giving it away, giving it away, giving it away, giving it away. They don't you know I don't think any of the steps uh have this unwritten philosophy spelled out this way. That is, but that is the job description of a sponsor. Okay, now I would say it, it wouldn't be a very effective uh, sponsor if they were constantly making you aware. If you were the sponsee, is that the correct term? Yep. You know, make constantly uh, letting you know that you know, yeah, I've been you know sober for ten years, so you know what what I got to say is gold. So you know. <laughs> here, here it goes, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, so exactly. The only thing they need to know, and of course, in that arena, it's a little bit different. But I think all that's important to know is I've been down that road, you know. And Period. So yeah, I've been down that road. So I hear you. I hear you. No, you can't come in. 
you you in that role giving it away is more not so much a verbal thing it's more a role modeling thing and knowing of course through either you're taught by whoever's training you or you have your own kind of intuition on knowing when to drop that and save it for the right moment, right time, where it's going to boom, have its maximum effect versus utilizing it, thinking that it's going to be your end to make you more effective as a counselor. Right. It doesn't work that way. And uh, and I'll add, and I think you said it well, and people listening could probably pick up on this, but that moment or that time to drop it, okay, that's not like the perfect time during a shift once a shift or, or once a week. You know, that, that's very, very few and far between instances. Yeah, it's, it's very rare. Um, and it's like anything else. If you want something to be impactful, it needs to be something that is... It can't be your go-to move. It can't be your go-to move, and it can't be something where that movie has already been played and seen. Right. Um, if you have a parent who yells at you every single day, eventually there is no shock value in the yelling. It's mm-hmm. just par for the course. It's what's expected. Mm-hmm. If you have a parent who's very docile and calm with you regularly and once a year the voice raises a couple of mm-hmm. decibels, you're standing at attention. Mm-hmm. Um, same, same kind of drill. So you can't keep it unless you give it away. Uh, this applies across the board yeah. to the recovery infant who progresses past that first trimester, gets into the second trimester, has a little bit of knowledge under their belt, mm-hmm. and is now able to turn turn around and look behind them and give that new member walking in the door, translate some knowledge down to them. Exactly. That's the way that cycle is supposed to work. Could it also work, you can't keep it unless you give it away, the executive director's bank account to his co-host or engineer, you can't you can't keep all of that unless you can give, give some away in the, this direction. The reason, the reason that can't work <laughs> is because the executive director's dependents <laughs> right. have already taken it away. <laughs> So it's gone. It's, it's already gone. gone. It's gone. Okay. So um, I can't keep it because I don't have anything to give away. <laughs> I can't keep it or give it away. It's gone. Okay. We got it. <laughs> well done. Well put. As a matter of fact, I was told, don't keep it. You must give it away. Yeah. Actually, yeah. The, the twist was thrown at you first. That's where this all originated. That's where it originated. Uh, that's excellent. That is excellent. Yeah. No, I think we... Uh, I think we hit it pretty well. I was actually, I sent you a text the other night after you had posted the show saying I was excited about it, thinking it was going to be a good show because this is, um, although it's not a part of the the four, the core four, the core four, we could say it's a part of the elite eight using a March yes. Madness term. There. Yes, it is part of the elite eight. <laughs> great, great, great term. So, so we, we would have to. So the next show that we do on one of the other unwritten philosophies will be a part of the Elite Eight. So the we Elite have three, Eight. Three more to go to complete the, uh, complete the Elite Eight. The left side of the bracket. There you go. Very, <laughs> very good. I like that. So good. All right. Why don't we uh, take our top of the hour music break and come back on the other side with some recovery support? We will absolutely do that. We do see also that we have a couple of callers on hold. 
who do want to chime in and come on for some recovery support. So we thank you for listening and being patient. We will get to you on the other side.
Coming up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you. Welcome back to Roadshow Recovery. We're now in our recovery support time. We're going to start off with some X-Files. Oh, the short version. The short. Back to the regular version. All right. You're going to have to excuse me, folks, because I put in my mouth a pip. I'll explain to you later what that is. Please, uh, please do. Okay, uh, the the listening audience and your co-host want to know. It's a very small, delicious candy. Very, it's very small, like a size of a pea. You know, peas. Okay, yeah. My wife says the minimum you should have in your mouth at one time is two. I like to put one. If I'm with her, she'll jam two or three in my mouth against my against like I'm you know like you jam food in the baby's mouth. Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't jam. refuse to eat? Uh, right. The pip. But okay. I thought I'd be done with it by the time we came back from commercial break, but I'm not. So there you have it, folks. You learned it here first Thanksgiving week. Go get yourself some pips. Uh you can actually. I'm sorry, you cannot get yourself some pips because these are imported from England. Unbelievable. Well, order them online. I doubt it. All right, let's go to. We're going to hit the X Files first. Um, George from Boston, Massachusetts. If I lie to the doctor to get a certain prescription, but I take it as prescribed, does that make me an addict? Yes. Of course it does. If you lie to get a prescription... Makes you an addict. Why are you lying to get a prescription? I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on that one. Right along those lines, Ricardo from San Mateo, if Xanax is my drug of choice, can I ever take it 
if a doctor prescribes it without abusing it? Well, we run into this a lot with people who used heroin out on the streets. And they, you know, occur uh, happen to incur an injury or something like that, and they get an opiate-based uh, pain med to help them deal with the the pain or the results of that injury. And we usually have two answers to that. One is, if that's the only alternative that's available in order to give you some quality of life, then you have to learn how to take medication as it's prescribed. If you're not able to do that, you're just going to end up back where you started, which is addicted to heroin again. And we've seen that over and over and over and over and over again. So if Xanax is your drug of choice, whatever the reason is that you know, because Xanax is prescribed for various things. And, I mean, it's a, like a multi, multi, multi-purpose, multi-use uh, drug. Mm-hmm. It can be anxiety, can be depression, antidepress, antidepressant. You know, a lot of things that they prescribe it for. Uh, so, for whatever the reason why you might need a drug like Xanax. You should be asking the doctor for something that you weren't abusing when you were out there, but that would accomplish whatever it is that you feel you need the drug for. So if it's you suffer from depression and you, you need an antidepressant, well, why would you take Xanax again if you were abusing it while you were out there? Totally agree. You try and get something that has less abusive qualities right. to it. Okay. Right. So that's that. Uh Yolanda from Oaktown. That's Oakland, California, for you eastern seaboarders. <laughs> Is it beneficial for me to focus on other people's recovery? It is not. You must focus on yours only, not others. Although you can learn from others. You can learn from others, but the focus, focus yes. must be on yours. Yes, indeed. Zeke, South City. I stopped using meth about three years ago, but I smoke a little weed to relax after work. (laughs) My sponsor says I'm still in my addiction. Is that true? Why are we felt left with all of these moral quandaries? (laughs) (laughs) Are you kidding me? That's what they call, that's what they ride in Roach on Recovery for. To solve the moral dilemmas? Solve the moral dilemmas. I would advise this individual to heed the advice of his or her sponsor. I would agree. I concur with that. If the truth is, let's say there is some um, psychological or physiological or biological reason that you need something to, my hands are up in quotes, relax you, okay? We all know now in 2015 that if your doctor says that, hey, you know what might work well for you? Weed, it's available in pill form. 
That's right. We don't have to pop it. We don't have to smoke it, right? Yeah, but no, I would, absolutely. I would gather that I, I don't think there's a doctor that would refer to that. And that, no pun intended when I said refer to, by the way. <laughs> refer. Uh, I don't think uh, a doctor would refer to that to say to relax. So the moral quandary, however, the argument that's made on the other side, let's just bring it out there. No reason to try and hide from the argument is, well, how is that different than someone uh, who decides to have a glass of wine to relax and kick back after work and relax? Okay. What's, yeah. the, what's the difference between the two? That's the that's the comeback. That's the counter argument. But the difference is, and now we're now we're getting into um, pharmacological aspects. Mm-hmm. The difference is, people who study the makeup of these drugs, and I'm including alcohol in the form of wine, okay, will tell you the the wine, even though it contains alcohol, has more beneficial characteristics. True. Very true. Than the weed. Mm-hmm. So that's just in reference to that argument. But we, we can't uh, forget that the question started off with the statement, I stopped using meth. Okay? Right. So the whole goal of recovery is you want to stop using everything. Okay? Right. And not go back to using something because, hey, I need this for that. Right. We're not substituting here. Yeah. These aren't substitute goods. Right. Because if you if you stop using meth and we go and we take you through that whole chain that whole self analysis process of why you started using why you continue to use and all that stuff, I would then ask were you you know was marijuana a part of that process meaning were you smoking weed right. while you were using meth et cetera why were you smoking weed you know what were you getting out of it and so on. oh well it relaxes me or counterbalances methamphetamine because to be truth be told I know a lot of cocaine addicts that drank to counterbalance That's the effect. exactly what it would do. Yeah, of the cocaine. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> people do that. Right. We know that, right? Right. So ultimately the whole goal is to stop using everything. Period. Okay. And see if you can find some holistic means of relaxation. Relaxing. Watch airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> For some of us. Uh, for others, that may heighten his need to go and smoke. Uh, but, yeah, we could find something if we look long enough. Okay. All right. Let's go to Peter from Redwood City. Welcome to the show. Uh, yeah. How you doing? Good. Uh, good. I'm just calling. I have a quick, quick question. Uh, I was curious. Uh, what's better for an addict um, to, to be in a relationship with another addict or somebody who isn't an addict? You want to comment first, Mr.? It's uh it's actually a good question. Uh appreciate the question and appreciate the call obviously. Um I think a lot of anything that has to do with engaging in a relationship in some way shape or form has to do with your comfort level, your boundaries and the realization 
of whether or not the relationship itself, if that's what you're going to choose to engage in, is starting from and growing from a healthy place. Um, Are there successful relationships out there where two people are in recovery? Sure. Um, Is it better, the, the term better, is it better to be in a relationship with someone else who's in recovery versus someone who isn't? Um, I might say there may be more risk involved if you're in recovery and you seek a relationship with somebody else in recovery. Um, but then again, that's why I state boundaries, knowing yourself and your, and your boundaries and what you're comfortable with. Um, because you'll have to play those risks out, i.e. how would I feel or what would happen if my partner relapsed? Um, if my partner started using again, how would I be able to manage that? Would I be able to separate myself enough so I didn't put myself in harm's way or in jeopardy? And I guess, you know, you may not have to worry about that specific element if you engage in a relationship with somebody who is not in recovery. That said, all relationships are work, and it may not be a relapse that is something that's difficult to work through in your relationship with a, with a person who's not in recovery, but the issue may be something else. So I can't really say that one is better than the other, but I would go out on a limb and say there may be more risk involved engaging in a relationship with somebody else who's in recovery. Gotcha. So that's pretty much the question, and I appreciate your uh, time. Absolutely. We appreciate your time and your calling in. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. All right, have a good night. Thank you. All right. You as well. Bye-bye. I think as long as uh, it, it, the way you phrased the question, that it's not part of your criteria that you're looking for someone that's also in recovery. You know, right? Yeah, that's if not something. a part of the checklist. Exactly. So, I mean, if it just happens to be that, um, you know, you meet somebody and just through just through um, conversation or what have you. Uh, you find out right. that they have a background in recovery. Right. That's, that's different. You know what I mean? Right. But it's part of the reason why I've never been a 100%. So I'm, I, let's say I'm like a 55, 60% fan of those NA dances. Okay. Because if relationships come out of that, Obviously, you know, anyone who's most 90 percent of the people that are there, right, are in recovery. Right. So if you come out of there with someone that you're looking to get into a relationship with, chances are that person's yeah. also in recovery. Right. Exactly. Now, just by nature. Right. You, you already have something in common. Mm-hmm. OK. And that thing that you have in common is not necessarily, even though we say recovery is wonderful when you get into recovery and you you get off drugs and you get back on a positive, constructive lifestyle, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Okay? But when it comes to being in an intimate relationship, okay, that's not what the conversation is going to be about. Right. That's not how it's looked upon between the two. Right, right, right. So, i.e., the one person is not saying to the other, one of the things I admire about you. 
<laughs> is that you stop using drugs, you know, and so on and so forth. <laughs> right. And that's something I admire about you, too, you know. That's, <laughs> that's not the, how the conversation is going to go. Exactly. Hey, what drugs did you use? Do you use oh, meth? Oh, yeah, I use meth also. Oh, wow. What a coincidence. <laughs> what a did you drink? Oh, what did you drink? Oh, Hennessy? Oh, me too. What, what, what do you know? <laughs> All right. That's where the conversation goes. Yeah. And so what do you have to talk about? But that big elephant that's in the room. Mm-hmm. Okay? Totally different if it happens naturally. You have no idea, no clue, and you find out by happenstance. You know what I'm saying? All right. Let's go to Samantha from Walnut Creek, holding a long time. Welcome to the show. Hi. How are you? Good. Um, I would like to ask how long will it take my brain after uh, to recover after I stop abusing drugs and alcohol? Like heal, you know? What drugs? Alcohol and crystal meth. How old are you, if you don't mind? I'm uh, 30. Okay. Well, let's say luckily um, you're still in the considered young window, young window, um, how long did you use crystal meth for? On and off for 13 years. Okay. I mean, there's sometimes where I was sober, like for two and a half years, and then where I just didn't use it. But then oh, I usually use it when I drink. Okay. So you had periods of non-use. Mm-hmm. Interpersonal with periods of consistent use. Yeah. Daily use. Yes. Okay. So one of the things we realized, especially when we were working with adolescents, is the advantage they had. So these were kids 14, 15, 16 years old. Mm. Well, the good thing and the bad thing, their brains were still developing. So they had the opportunity of they, they, they were they had the blessings of youth, so to speak, where they had the time for their brains to recover and heal and not and really not have so much after effect you know, negative impact from their drug use. So the older you get, the less opportunity there is for that to occur, especially with crystal meth. Yeah. You know, unlike with what I'll I'll put my hands in quotations, the more natural drugs, heroin, cocaine, um, marijuana, Mm -hmm. uh, even alcohol, et cetera, um, they have a more organic basis to them, so you got like a little more time of use before really start damage really starts happening. Crystal meth is a totally different animal. So if you would have said to me, mm, I've been used, I use for like you know fifteen twenty years daily. I'm now you know in my you know mid to late forties, I would say. You know, damages, whatever is done is done. There's no really, you know, healing going to take place. Okay. I wouldn't say so you're in that state. We're not doctors here, but I wouldn't say you're in that position. I'd still say you're in that young window. Okay, good. Well, thank you. So you're saying I have a chance of healing my brain. I, I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that you're in that young window. You have periods of non-use mixed in in that 13 years which works in your favor okay so if you keep that in mind that hey one i'm young still and two i wasn't blown it up for 13 years straight okay all of that works in your favor 
Beautiful. And that's what you keep in the forefront of your mind. Okay, I'll do that. Thank you for your help. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you recall, when we used to get the kids in, and it applies to adults too. I mean, the first 90 days that there was, I mean, it was about regaining a sleeping pattern. Of course, eating, yeah. Eating pattern. Yeah. I mean, they, they couldn't go. I mean, they went to school, but there was nothing. The school couldn't do anything for them for the right. first 90 days. Right. They came in. Right. And I would think the same applies to an adult. That, I mean, that thing is just. Yeah, you need time to whew, get back, come back, welcome back to reality. I remember when the crack explosion hit, let's just say on the eastern seaboard, um, because even methamphetamine hasn't, like, hit the east like it has the west and the Midwest, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. At least I haven't heard that yet. But when the crack explosion hit back there, you know, it was, like, the worst possible thing that happened to mankind. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But the thing that people were forgetting that, you know, crack was just cocaine in another form. Sure. Okay. Sure. And so whatever the negative impacts of using cocaine were the same for crack. But I always used to say crack was a blessing because it, it, it took you to your knees much faster than cocaine. Very true. You know Very I mean? true. And so people have used cocaine for 20 years and I don't got a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, with crack, two years, oh, I got a problem. Big problem. You know yeah. What I mean? So, but the the damage was minimal. You know, the, the the biggest thing, you know, even though, yes, you can sniff cocaine one time and go into cardiac arrest. Right. This is something we everyone learned. You know, Very the, true, yeah. Small little piece of knowledge, okay? And we know of cases where that happened. You can use heroin one time and overdose and die. We know we know that it has happened, being in this field. Yep. Okay. Um we we also know heroin is a preserver of skin. This is one of the reasons why when we in treatment we would look at the heroin addicts, the, the ones who could afford good heroin, mm-hmm. and you would look at them and say, "You wouldn't like, even be able to tell, you right?" Tell. Mm-hmm. They look wonderful, like they just came off a Caribbean island. <laughs> Businessmen, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, the ones who were getting bad heroin, and then also the life of the street, they look different. Right. You know what I'm saying? So. The crystal meth, I can't imagine what it would have been like if that was around and available and slamming the neighborhoods like crack cocaine did. Would have been you know, a bad sight. You know, crack addicts go on 24-hour benders, mm-hmm. okay, and then they sleep, and then they go on another, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's the pattern. Yeah, meth addicts, it's extended you go for days or weeks at a time exactly right so that's and 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 the worst thing of course with the methamphetamine is it's it's a man it's a man-made substance yeah it's chemicals so it's it, not growing it, out it, of soil in yeah. any form or fashion and, yeah, that is being put together in a laboratory somewhere. It's ripping with the, the neurons apart. Nothing made to ingest. Yeah, it's ripping the neurons apart. So we got to help. We got to help. Let's go to uh, Vincent from Redwood City. Welcome to the show. How you doing? Thank Good. you. Hold on a second. Vincent, are you on speakerphone? Okay, th- can you turn up your phone a little bit, please? 
Okay. Can you come a little or speak a little louder so we can hear you? Yeah. Much better. How can we help you, sir? I want to ask, how can I stop using cocaine and heroin? Well, the first step is, uh, do you have you acknowledged that you have a problem? No. You have not acknowledged that you have a problem? Nope. Until you acknowledge you have a problem, there's nothing anybody can do for you. Because well, sometimes I do think I got a problem, but sometimes I don't. As long as there is a sometimes I don't, that means you don't think you have a problem. And if you don't think you have a problem, there's nothing that anyone can do for you. You have to believe that you have a problem and need help with that problem before anyone can help you. So when you say, can can we help you stop using cocaine and what's the other drug you mentioned? Was it heroin? Heroin. Yeah. We can't. So let's put the heroin in a different category because there's a physical addiction that comes along with that. Whereas the cocaine is just a psychological addiction. Um, unless, until you, you, well, how long have you been using heroin? Five years. Okay. So, you're, we know that you're physically addicted to it, right? Yeah. Okay. So, until that changes, I mean, until you decide that, I mean, if you're physically addicted to it, whether you want to acknowledge it in your mind that you have a problem is irrelevant, ultimately. With the cocaine, you have to you have to acknowledge it. If you don't acknowledge it, there's nothing anyone's going to be able to help you with because you're saying that, well, I don't think I have a problem. With the heroin, it's different because it's obvious that you have a problem because you, you have to continue using it. Otherwise, you're going to get sick. Yeah. So, like, and I stop going, like, stop using, like, I'm a, I want to stop using, so I'm going to stop, and I'll call you back whenever you do another show, and I'll, I'll tell you how am I doing. All right. We appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Vincente. All right. Have a good day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. We cannot make you stop. Yeah, not possible. Not po- yeah, and like you said, you, you and you can't be on the fence either. No, there's no fence. If if there's any yeah, if there's any doubt, then it means you don't think you have a problem. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. One iota of doubt is all you need to go out and start using again. So. Yeah. All right, let's go to Jada from Palo Alto. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. How can we help you? Um, I'm calling about the recovery radio show. Sure. How can we help you? How can you help me? Yes. Um, what do you mean by that? Do you have a question for us? Um, what? What's my question? Hold on. Oh, where where do you find the strength to remain sober? 
Okay, now now repeat that all in all in one one sentence. Okay, so where do you find the strength to remain sober? When you say you, you mean me or are you talking about yourself? Uh me. Where do you find the strength or, or where can where, you find the strength? Yeah, where can I find the strength to stay clean and sober? It comes from within. You have to want it. You have to be committed. Okay. The con- the consequences of the other lifestyle has to be so bad that you no longer want to live that life. You want to live a different life, a positive life. That's true. <laughs> Have I you reached there live- yet? Yes. I reached there. I'm there. Okay. Then okay. if you're there, if you reach there, then that's the most important place to reach in order to succeed in this recovery process. Okay. Some people don't get there. Okay. All right. I'm I'm glad I made it. Okay. Okay. We're glad we're glad you made it also. Thank you. All right. Thank you for calling. Uh-huh. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. She was getting help with her question. Hey, sometimes when it's your first time calling in or you're new to the process, it can be a little intimidating. Good to have a support with you. Glad you didn't say, help me with this damn question. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Got me calling the show. All right. Let's go to Bob from Pacifica. Welcome to the show. Hi. How's it going? How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? I'm all right. I just wanted to uh, thank you guys. I appreciate everything you do on the show, and uh, you guys uh, do a good job. Um, thank you. My question was, is they got this thing called a four-step in the AA and the NA program. And I was wondering if if that's something you guys feel is, is absolutely vital to recovery. They say it is. But you know, there's just some things that I, I can't share, and some things I don't want to share. And I, you know, I really have a desire to be clean and sober. I just, um, I'm not sure if that's the only way to do it. You talk. You said the fourth step. Yeah. Well, the fourth step is you got. You're making a you're a, a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself. It it doesn't say anything about having to. Disclose that. Just, yeah, to share it. It's something you're doing. It's like your own self-analysis. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you just be honest with yourself. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I'm just reading it to you for you know as it's stated. Yeah. Yeah. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. That's the fourth step. Okay. So it doesn't say that you have to share it with anyone or anything like that. You can if you choose to, but what's to, right. the way I read that, that it's more important that you are doing your own self-analysis, looking in the quote-unquote mirror and speaking to who you are truly, okay, what you need to do differently, what you need to change, what you need to improve upon, how you need to build your character, things of that nature. Okay. All right. Whether you well, write thank them you very down much. Like, whether you write them down on paper or whatever, whether you choose to share them, entirely up to you. Great. That was, that was excellent help. I, I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay. You're very welcome. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. 
they get worried about the the, uh, <laughs> the folks that pick and choose. Pick and choose in the steps. The fourth and the seventh, not really my speed. Can I get by with just the other ten? <laughs> yeah, no, it's like that's one thing that I've always found to be interesting to me. If you knew how to get clean by yourself, you'd already be clean if that's what you desired to mm-hmm. do. The idea that you find yourself in recovery, uh, whether you're in a program or you're going to AA, is a sign of, A, you've admitted you have a problem with something, and B, you're seeking help to solve that problem because it's unsolvable to you. Mm -hmm. So in what grounds do you make a stance that okay, I've come to you to ask for help on a problem I can't solve. You're telling me this is how to solve it, but I don't really like that avenue of the, the solution that you're providing. Can I can I get it another way? Because I do want to change, but I don't want to do this. Well, if you want to change, you're going to listen because you don't know how to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to listen, maybe you need to think a little longer as to whether or not you really want to change. But it, it's a it's a funny one to me. I agree with that. The only thing that I'll add to that is um, when it comes to the 12-step, traditional 12-step, mm-hmm. some people have a problem, not, not what this caller was talking about, because this one didn't have anything to do with the religious nature of some of the right. 12 steps. But some people have a problem with the, some of the religious nature of some of the steps. Sure. I get that, and I understand that. Um, so to me, if then then the 12-step can't be your primary go-to go to right. recovery resource. If you want to use it, though, as an adjunct sure. to another tri- type of treatment, you can pick and choose the steps that reinforce what you're doing. Right, yeah, no, And I leave the religiously-based ones out. I, I agree with but that. But you can't, you can't say, well, I'm going, to go to, I'm going to do the 12 steps and say, well, uh, but I'm going to do 12 steps, except, but I don't want to do two Six and eight. <laughs> right, exactly. I'll do the other. Can I have a, uh, let's see. I'll just do one, three, and five, and uh, can I get seven to go? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, no, that's not going to work. But, I, like I said, I understand the issue with the, with the religious nature of the uh, 12 steps. All right, I'm going to go back to some of our X-Files, if you don't mind. My therapist said, this is from Sarah Palwalto, my therapist said, due to my constant relapse, I should try applying harm reduction principles. So she's asking, what is harm reduction? What is harm reduction? Harm reduction is exactly what it says, harm reduction. Here's an analogy. If you are getting high seven days a week and you can cut it down to five days a week, that's harm reduction because you've reduced the number of days that you are getting high. If you then reduce it again to three, there's more harm reduction, so on and so on. So in the harm reduction model, it's about reducing harm. And the only way to reduce harm is to reduce whatever it is that's causing harm. Notice we didn't say the word eliminate, okay? Because eliminate would be 
okay, boom, stop right now. And if a person is either A, unwilling, or B, unable to stop right now, then we have to, what what else are we going to say? What else are we going to do? There has to be some other option. Well, that's where harm reduction comes in. If you're unwilling or you're unable, can you reduce the amount that you're using? So that's what harm reduction is. It's not new. It's been around for a long time. It comes and goes in terms of its uh, popularity and, and, and where it's utilized and who's for it, who's against it, so on and so forth. But to me, everything is fair game because if you, if you can't stop using 100% and you can say to me, you know what, to start off, I use seven days a week. I'm willing to cut down to four days a week. I'll take it. I'll take it for starters, and I'm just going to start working you on working you on those four other last <laughs> remaining four days. That's right. Get you down to two. You know what I mean? So I'll take it. So that's what harm reduction is. That's right. Uh, this is from Michael, San Francisco. Is it possible to ever live a normal life again without using drugs and alcohol or going to NA meetings, et cetera? Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. There are many living examples of that. You don't have to be dogged for the remainder of your natural life by uh, drug addiction. And whether or not you want to, even if you, this applies even for people who use the 12 steps to uh, facilitate their recovery, you know, some choose to continue to go for fellowship purposes, not for, you know, like they're not, act, you know, continuing to actuate their recovery. They're done. They have done their 12 steps, but they continue to attend AA or NA for, for fellowship and to exercise you can't keep it unless you give it away. That's exactly right. Uh, all right, let's go to Lee from the local Bay Area. Lee, welcome to the show. Uh, how you doing today, sir? Good. All right. My question is, how can I get a sponsor for a um, alcohol numbers for alcohol? I need a sponsor. Well, usually, usually you can uh, obtain a sponsor at an AA meeting. Well, I've been going to a lot of them. That seems that seems kind of hard. I mean, what, um, what's hap- what's happening when you go? There there aren't people there that are sponsor mater- material or what's right, going on? Right, right, right. Okay, exactly. All right. Well, let me go to my backup. You know, a sponsor is a person that's there to support you in your recovery. Right. Be there to help you if you're going through a difficult stretch. Be there to guide you. Be there to um, offer some uh, um, tough love if needed. So, well, some of us, well, we'll be honest with you, some of us do need that tough love. I know. So a sponsor really is not just someone who is only in the realm of AA or NA, a sponsor could be anyone who's going to do those things. Okay. You follow what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Okay. doesn't have to be the traditional, my hands are up in quotes, sponsor that you go to an AA meeting and you get a sponsor. 
It can be anyone who's who's going to be who's going to support you in your recovery. Be there to guide you if needed. Be there to offer some support if need if needed. Give you some tough love if you need it. Give you some soft love if you need that, etc. Okay. Well, that's good news. So think about who in your life can fulfill that role. Okay. I do have somebody in mind. There you go. Okay. Well, th- th- thank you. You answered my question, sir. All right. All right. Very welcome. Bye-bye. I don't want to be taking business. And today. just like that, uh, our host has fallen on the hit list of the AA diehards out there. The AA mafia? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> well, we've said it numerous times on the show that and anyone who meets those criteria of, you know, of supporting someone in recovery can fit that description. Right. Description, yeah. There's no certification out there for being a... Uh, you can't major in it. Right. Um, There's so, no uh, Sponsor 101. All right. I'm going to uh, hit an X-File real quick. Sancho from East Palo Alto. I've been in a program and sober for five months. My girlfriend is still using. What should I do? There's nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do. There's only something she can do. If she wants to stop using and get herself into recovery, she has to do that. There is nothing you can do to make that happen. You can support her if she chooses to do that. You can uh, offer guidance, but the most important thing that you can do, two things, number one, is be a role model by doing what you're doing, continuing to do what you're doing, and number two, make that hard decision of forcing the person to choose. It's either me or the drugs. Wait a second now. That's where you really know what's important. Choose me or the drugs, and the choice will be very revealing. Myra from Redwood City asked another very good question. We've gotten this question occasionally through callers and through uh, written correspondence. How can I stay clean and sober when I'm moving back to my old neighborhood after treatment? Mm-hmm. That old dilemma. That's it. The old environment. The old stomping grounds. It's waiting for you. <laughs> Got yeah. the welcome sign out. <laughs> That's right. It's saying, welcome back, Myra. Exactly. Same faces, same places. That's a really common question, actually. Mm-hmm. We, we get it a lot, and it's a good one, because environment can certainly be triggering. But our answer does not change. No. Absolutely not. There is nothing... No place, no person, no thing that should be able to impact your decision to stay on the straight and narrow. Exactly. I actually like your analogy of being in an elevator. Yes. And having it all around you, but yet not have an impact at all because you've made a decision. 
a decision that you presumably want mm-hmm. to make. You're in control. There are no accidents when it comes to this thing that we're talking <laughs> about here. That's exactly right. You'll have to choose choose it. So there are people who are doing their thing in the on, in the worst environments that are out there. Right. So ideally, no one wants to go back to you know a, a, a rough spot, rough neighborhood, old haunts, old friends that are still you know still in the life. But if that's your reality, we 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 got to get prepared for that that's reality right. and to be able to deal with that and not allow it to sway you and pull you back under. So, all right, let's go to how are we, how are we on time, Mr. Producer? We got about nine minutes. All right. Let's go to uh, Joaquin from South San Francisco. Hi, Welcome to going? the show, sir. Good. How are you? Thank you. Very good. Very good. Um, I just had a question. <clears throat> I was uh, thinking about moving into an apartment, and I have a mother that sometimes drinks, and you know she she really don't have any other people that uh really help her out and you know I don't want her to be living with other people and I I just don't know how exactly that's going to affect me and my recovery when you say drinks what do you mean she drinks sometimes like uh, she went through a program herself and all that stuff and she was doing good for about a good four months and then she started up drinking again because when I would call her you know I'd hear her voice and you know I can tell that she's you know lightweight drink had been drinking and okay. I, I, I don't I, I've talked to a few other people about this and I don't know it's just like you know I know I should f- focus on me and my recovery but at the same time you know like I don't want my mom to end up homeless on the streets again you know what I mean the the battle raging within Joaquin is the and no no one I can't identify with this so um, what I'm speaking to you is just purely from an intellectual space yeah. you got your your mind knowing what you need to do but you got your heart saying something different. Yes. And when it and when it comes to someone's mother, it it doubles and triples. So I wouldn't even know what to tell you in this scenario because either decision you make, okay, is going to be hard. It's going to be hard if you say, you know what, I got to be there to support my mother even if she is drinking. That's going to be hard because that means you got to be tight. You got to be on point with your own recovery. You got to make sure that no matter what circumstance may exist in that household, that you don't allow it to pull you under. Or if you decide, you know what, I can't put, I'm not ready to be in that situation right now. I need to be somewhere else. And that means I'm going to have to leave my mother hanging possibly. That's hard. Yes, but also it's like um, I, 
the positive outcome of that is, you know, like I I have a um, on November fifteenth I have a year of uh, clean time, and you know it's like you know I feel like I am strong enough and that I can possibly you know bring her back into not drinking, you know, have her come to like meetings, outside meetings and all that stuff, you know, well, try to bring uh, her back just, to the light, you know. Well, let me uh, let me. Give you some clarity on that, okay? Let's say you decide to, you know, move back in, okay? You have to move back in with your eyes wide open. You can't move back in with your eyes wide shut. It's a figure of speech. Yeah. You can't you can't be intellectually shut or emotionally shut. You got to be open, and you got to live, and you got to have a realistic outlook. So. That means you have no control over what another human being does. So you no, can't walk can in. Help. You can't walk in thinking that you know what I'm going to be able to influence my mother to get back on this recovery train and do the right thing. Because if you do that, you're setting yourself up. Now, what you can do is. Since you have control over you, you can be the best possible role model for her that you can. And then she's looking at you, seeing what you're doing and how you're going about your business. And that is going to possibly cause her to say, hey, you know what, maybe I need to stop doing what I'm doing because look at what my son is doing. Look at how he's doing. It's shame that if... um if I take care of myself first when I get uh, my own apartment and all that stuff, and then she sees me doing the right thing, and then I know she's not drinking and on the right on the right page and all that stuff, then do you think it would be a good idea for me to bring her in? No, what I'm saying is, if you even if you decide that you know what I'm going to go back home, even though I know my mother's drinking, I'm going to go back home. I don't want you to think that just because you're doing the right, that you're doing your thing and you're living the right life, that you're going to be able to convince her to stop the drinking and get back into AA or get back into treatment or what have you, because that's setting yourself up. If you're going to move back home, you got to move back home with the understanding that the only person I have control over is me and what I do. And I hope that I can show my mother through what I'm doing, she can get back on and get back in recovery. She can uh, look at me and see what I'm doing. Whether you're living with her or not living with her doesn't make a difference. But she can I was look at you. About, and see what uh, getting doing. my own apartment and having her move in with me. That's fine. Well, Either way, what you that's clarified for me is that you know, like when she got sober it's like I don't know if that would be a good time for her to for myself to allow her to move in with me when I do get my apartment or those are all choices those are those are all choices and decisions you have to think about and make all we're saying is this whichever choice or decision you make in regards to your mother just know that you can only control you and what you do you can't control what she does. Yes. It definitely makes a lot of sense. 
So hopefully, whether she's living with you or not living with you, you'll be an inspiration to her, and that will have an effect on her and help her change what she's doing. Yes. And I definitely hope that she sees me in that way, you know, instead of, you know, like if I decide for her not to live with me, I I hope that, you know, I'm doing it for the right reason, you know, to make sure... Uh, I, I'm safe in my sobriety. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. All right. You have a good day. All right. You too. How are we on time, sir? We've got about 50 seconds. All right. Let's see if we can get this one quick. Let's go to Yolanda. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Real quick. We only got a minute. Okay, well, actually, I had a two-part question, so maybe I should call back at another time. Because my question is, um, I'm in a program that, um, to me, is focused on me focusing on other people's stuff. And I wanted to know also, is it detrimental or beneficial for me to focus on other people's programs? I'm going to give you a quick answer, and yes, I do want you to call back because I want to get into this a little deeper. The answer is no, it's not beneficial for you to be focused on other people. you got to focus on yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay? But in this program, I mean, there's not much time for you to focus on other people, I mean, on myself. We can, just not we enough can, time. We can, we can teach you how to turn that around, turn that dynamic around. My producer is getting ready to cut me off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you call back on the next show, we can talk about that and teach you how to turn that dynamic around, okay? Mm-hmm. All right. Stay with it. Goodbye. All right. Bye-bye. There you have it, sir. It'll be a good one to talk about. Hopefully she calls back because yep. that is it's good to talk about. Yeah, and we touched on it to one of our writings anyway. All right, so the official cutoff is on. Uh, We would like to thank everybody again for the continued support that people have been giving us, the folks who call in during the Recovery Sports Time segment, the folks who call in to listen, our regular listeners. We really do appreciate all of you. Uh, We would like to wish everybody, obviously, a happy Thanksgiving week with uh, however and whomever you choose to celebrate it with. Uh, We will be off next Tuesday versus Today, so we bumped back the remodel, if you will, a week. So next Tuesday, go ahead and check out the archives and do whatever it is you guys would like to do. We do have plenty up for you guys to listen to. Um, And we will get with everybody, I believe, the first uh, Tuesday in December. So again, happy Thanksgiving, all. December 1st. December 1st. We wish you all a happy and safe holiday week.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a present.